before we get started, I wanted to remind you, or maybe tell you because you're not aware, next week is Easter. Can you believe that? Um, it feels like two seconds ago this year started, so uh, it's like our favorite Sunday of the year. So uh, if you call Mosaic home, your job this week is to be inviting people. Uh, use, use the Facebook to do that. People, people will respond to that. You should use the Facebook. Uh, I think we have some invites that you could give as well if you want to go analog, old school. Uh, if this is your first or second time here and, and you're just kind of checking things out, man, we would love to have you next week. We like, we try to, we try to put our best, best foot forward on, on Easter Sunday. We try, we, I was going to say show off, but that's wrong. <laughs> show, show out, is show out better? How about that? We try to do a little, little extra on Easter, so it's going to be special. Um, all right, so we are in a series called Community First, where we talk about connection, talk about community. Um, have you ever heard uh, the term object permanence before? Object permanence. It's kind of funny when you hear the, the, the definition. Object permanence is the understanding that an object still exists even if you can't see it, hear it, or otherwise sense it. It's kind of weird, right? Like You're like, well, of course. I, can, I know that something exists even if I can't sense that it exists. But, but the idea is like, hey, uh, so here's my iPhone. If you didn't have object permanence... Uh, it exists to you? It's gone. It doesn't exist. And now it's back. Magic, right? So if you didn't have it, you, you, would, you would be blown away right now. Um, now, believe it or not, as silly as this is, you didn't always have it. Even you didn't always have this. So for the first several months of your life, you didn't have object permanence. Uh, it wasn't until seven, eight months old where you start to develop the idea that objects exist outside of your own senses. Now the rest of the definition is hilarious. Uh, so it's during early infancy, babies are extremely egocentric. They have no concept that a world exists separate from their point of view and experience. <laughs> The jokes just write themselves there, right? <laughs> Number one, can confirm, they are little narcissists. They are for sure little sociopathic. Number two, evidently, some people don't grow out of this, right? <laughs> Somebody was like trying not to look at the person next to them when I was reading the definition. Um, now, the easy preacher application for uh, this idea, for object permanence, is I could say that some of us in this room do this with God in certain situations, right? Where you don't see him, feel him, sense him, hear him, and all of a sudden in that situation, you're like, he must not be there. And I could just dunk on you and say, you got to stop being a baby in your faith. I'm not going to, though. You're welcome. I could. I could. Um, maybe, maybe later, maybe I'll use it a, a different way. But I what I really want to talk about when it comes to object permanence is the game of peekaboo, much more spiritual than that. Um, so you, you know, right? You've played this before, you hide your face, peekaboo. And uh, if you have a baby, they, they just love this game, love this game. You can get a baby like belly laughing, gasping for breath, just hiding your face and then revealing it. Now, the reason is because they don't have object permanence, and they're looking at you, and then you, you, you disappear, and they think you're like a wizard. They're, they're blown away by the fact that you, you, you don't exist, then you exist. But, but for you who have it, you don't think it's that funny, right? Um, okay, see? Fake laugh. Get your fake laughs out of here. It's, it's, not, it's not as cool to you. But for a baby, and listen, this is really important, like, you don't exist to them when you hide yourself from them. You don't exist to them when you hide yourself from them. 
And what struck me is, I think we, you know, we still play this game a little bit, don't we? Not with your face, but with your soul. Where you hide your true self from people. You're not real with people. You don't let people in. You don't let people know you. And I think what this means is the same thing that it means for a, a baby playing peekaboo. What it means is you have hidden yourself from people. And what that means is the real you to them like, doesn't exist. Isn't that a crazy concept to think that, that, that to the, some of the people in your life who you've never really revealed who you really are to, to them, the true you doesn't exist. They have no concept, no construct in their mind of who you really are. They only know the mask. They only know the veneer, the filter. Which is why, in, in case you're still grabbing onto this, this is why like, if a celebrity or a religious leader uh, does something really stupid and they, get, you know, they, they have some big scandal in their life uh, and you look at what they did and you just can't believe that they did it, right? Matter of fact, you look at the headlines, you're like, I don't even know the person that I'm reading this article about. That, that, that's not uh, the person that I thought. That's because they never <laughs> showed you that part of them, right? That you only knew this, this, this veneer, the mask out here. You didn't know the real person. The real person is the one who messed that up. But you never knew him. So what I want to talk about today um, is fighting to live an authentic life. Fighting to live an authentic life. Because you know what the opposite of authentic is? Fake. And uh, I don't know, I, I've never seen someone succeed in the long term in their life uh, faking it. And I've known too many people who've, who've been real fake and have fallen real hard. Uh, and I'm just going to assume, I, I think you want to live an authentic life. I think that's something you desire. You might be a little afraid of it. You might be a little afraid of it. And, and rightfully so. There are some genuine concerns when you start to live an authentic life. But I think you do want to be known. I think deep down you want to live a life where there is, like you get to be you and there's no mask required. <laughs> In every which way there can be no mask required. Um, and on top of that, we've been talking about community, right? We've been talking about connection. We've been talking about how we need each other, how you can't be like the person God created you to be fully in isolation, that we need each other to become the people that God has called us to be. And I worry what happens, I worry as we, uh, so we're, we're starting our, our uh, Mosaic group signups today. We're going to be really encouraging you to get into small groups of people. And what I worry is we're going to, we'll succeed at that. Some of you are going to sign up and we're going to be in these groups, you know, get into people's living rooms and you're going to start to connect. But what I worry is what happens in a lot of churches, and you can probably testify to this, is that you never really reveal who you are. And then nobody else does either. So what ends up happening with the connection is you don't actually connect with each other, fake you connects with fake somebody else. Your mask connects with somebody else's mask. We make a bunch of fake connections. And fake connections are not good for your very real soul. <laughs> fake you connecting with somebody doesn't help the real you. So what I want to really press on today, I want to encourage us, I, I, I'm going to try to bully you in to wanting to live an authentic life. How about that? So let's, I'll use Jesus to do that because he's 
better at than me. Um, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Here's what happens. Meanwhile, uh, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Jesus uh, turned first to his disciples and warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. So the setting is that there are thousands of people around Jesus. And I know that's, to me, that's important. I don't know, a lot of times when people talk about Jesus, like, oh, Jesus only cared about the 12 and he grew the 12. Listen, Jesus had crowds too, man. Thousands of people, they were tripping over each other. There were so many people around Jesus. So this is a big crowd, big moment, lots of stuff going on. And the first thing that Jesus decides to go after here with this big crowd, his priority one was to say this about the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day. They're kind of pompous. A lot of times Jesus locks horns with them. So uh, I don't know. I just imagine Jesus seeing a group of them in in the thousands of people. There's a group of Pharisees and Jesus says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. And he specifically names the yeast there, their hypocrisy. Now, it's weird that he says yeast. Let's just acknowledge that. Like, what are you even talking about, Jesus? Um, but Jesus uses yeast a lot as an illustration, um, as something that gets into a, a, a lump of bread and, and, and permeates the whole thing. It affects the whole thing, right? So it's, it's insidious. It's, it's, it spreads throughout. And Jesus is looking at the Pharisees saying, hey, uh, they're hypocrites. That's contagious. Watch out for that. And he chooses that to be the thing that he says, that could really mess this whole thing that we're doing up. That's what he says, right? He says their their hypocrisy could mess this whole, look at all these people, look at at the thousands of people around. Don't let that thing infect this whole thing. That's what he says. Now hypocrisy, I don't know about you, I usually think of like that's somebody who says one thing and does another. But the, the... the language this was originally written in, the, the word that's used for hypocrisy is a little, a little bigger than that. Um, it's somebody who pretends. It's somebody who, who acts. Someone who presents a different self to the world than is reality. So it's very much what we're talking about today, this hypocrisy. The Pharisees pretended to be one thing, but behind the scenes they were another. And that was the thing that Jesus said, watch out for that. That pretending stuff, it's not going to work here. That's what he says. Now, I want to ask why. Why did Jesus pick that of all the things? He could have picked a lot of messed up things that people did and said, watch out for this. Or how about this group over here? How about this thing over here? He could have picked any number of things, but he picks inauthenticity to be the thing he goes after. So let me just list the ways this is important. Number one, uh, reason to live an authentic life. Only the real you can grow. You know that? Only the real you can grow. The fake you can't grow. It's like a plastic plant. Water it all you want. You ever made that mistake? So we, have two, we have two little uh, aloe plants sitting like above our sink. One of them is real, one of them is not. And I cannot tell the difference between them. Just water them both and be like, I don't know. Hopefully one of them stays alive. Um, but the real you, or the, the fake you can't grow. The fake you can't grow. It's, you can't pretend your way to spiritual growth. How about that? You know, people say, fake it till you make it. That's not what happens. Have you ever done that? Has that ever succeeded? We talk about it all the time. Does that ever work? I, and that's not in my experience. In my experience, you fake it until you feel like a giant fraud. And then you don't know what to do with yourself. That's usually what happens. No, only the real you can grow. Jesus said this elsewhere in Matthew chapter 7, 17. He said, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Ultimately, I believe what wins out in your life is going to be what's behind the mask. That's why those celebrities, that's why those giant religious leaders fall, because what was behind the mask wasn't what they presented. 
That's what wins out in the long run. If you want to go the distance in your faith, if you don't just want to be a flame that sparks up and then goes away, if you really want to have legs in this thing, you want to go a long time in the same direction, the direction that God wants you to go in your life, then you need to work on the real you. Take some of the energy you're using for this and work here. Only the real you can grow. Number two reason to be authentic is God can't hide what, or God can't heal what you hide. I couldn't decide on the clever preacher thing. I went with alliteration, God can't heal what you hide. I could have went with God can't heal what you conceal. I went with alliteration over rhyming, whatever. They both work. Um, but God can only change what you bring into the light. You know this? God can only change what you bring into the light. See, we do that church thing. I don't know if you know this. Church people do this all the time, right? We pretend we're okay when we're not. We pretend to not have any struggles when we do. We pretend to not have any pain when we really do. And we don't open up. We don't ever tell anybody about it. And you are under, operating under the assumption that that lie that says that time heals all wounds, you're operating under that, right? You're just hoping that if you hold it long enough, it'll go away. It won't hurt anymore. It'll callous over. It'll, it'll, it'll do something on the inside of it and, you, and you'll be fine. But that's not true. Some things, listen to me, some things only heal in the light. It's not going to get better if you hold it in here. It's not. You can wait and wait and wait. It'll crystallize. It'll harden, but it'll still hurt. Sometimes you got to bring stuff out. Sometimes the only way through healing is a connection with somebody else and a bringing it out. Uh, James says this in uh, James 5.16. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess to each other. Be real with each other, he says. And he connects that to healing. There's somebody in this room right now who you're struggling with something and you've tried to keep it on your, in just, just you, you've been praying, God, I just, I just want to get rid of this. I don't want to have to tell anybody. I just want to get rid of this. And I just want to tell you that I think this might be the time for you to decide I got to bring this into light. That God might use that confession as a path to healing. And somebody else, you're holding some pain in that you've never told any about, and you've never told anybody about, and, and you're hoping that it goes away. But I just want to tell you, I think maybe God's going to nudge your heart to say, hey, you need to tell somebody about that. Maybe that's going to be the pathway to healing. God can't heal what you hide. Don't be like that person in the zombie movie who hides they got bit. Does that ever work? If you've learned anything from any zombie movie ever, it's that you don't get bitten and hide the wound. That's, we don't do that here. We will not shoot you. You will survive. It's good. Only the real you can grow. God can't heal what you hide. Number three, God can't use who you wish you were. God can't use who you wish you were. You know that? So, so when David goes to fight Goliath, everybody knows that story, right? David goes to fight Goliath. Uh, he takes a pit stop at Saul on his way to go fight Goliath. has to tell Saul, Saul's king, so he wants to let Saul know, hey, I'm going to go take care of your problem for you. Which, by the way, Saul should have taken care of, but that's another thing altogether. So Saul first tries to talk him out of it, and then Saul offers David his armor. Because David's just a shepherd, he didn't have anything. Now, there's two problems with Saul's armor. Number one, the most obvious, is that it doesn't fit David. The Bible elsewhere tells us that Saul was head and shoulders above every Israelite. So at the very least, he's like here to David. So it's not going to fit David, number one. But number two, I think that's actually least important. Number two is Saul's armor was designed for a certain kind of combat. Saul's armor was designed for toe-to-toe, blow-for-blow with your enemy. I'll hit you harder more often than you, and you're going to go down, and I'm not. But that's not the kind of fighter David was, right? David was agile. David was, was sneaky. David was a slinger. 
So if David would have put on Saul's armor, it would have actually hindered him, not helped him. If, if he would have been slower and less accurate had he worn Saul's armor. More than that, if David would have said, that's some pretty cool armor, I think I'll go try to fight like Saul would fight. He'd have lost in two seconds. Because God didn't create you to wear somebody else's armor. God created you to be you. God created you to do some amazing things in this world, to, to make a dent in history, to make a ripple into eternity, being you. God called you a masterpiece. He didn't, he didn't set you, oh, I created this handmade thing, and now please go pretend to be that other one that I made over there. That doesn't make any sense. God can't use who you wish you were. He wants you to be you. He created you for a reason. And then the last thing, the last reason I want to lean on you to live an authentic life is people can't love you if they don't know you. People can't love you if they don't know you. This is just logical, right? And kind of ironic because part of the reason we make these facades is because we want people to love us, right? We we actually want people to like us, so we make this fake us that we think they'll like more than the real us because we're afraid they won't like the real us. Maybe they'll like the fake us. But it's kind of ironic because then if they do fall in love with us, they love the fake us. They don't love the real us. They don't even know the real us exists. So ironically, the very thing you created to help you get love is now preventing you from getting love because the fake you is getting love, but the real you is not. People can't love you if they don't know you. The very thing you're doing to get love is stopping you from actually getting at the real you. So, I'm leaning on you here to not live a fake life. Man, don't live a fake life. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a pretender. But there's tension in this, right? There's tension in this. Uh, If it were easy, you would already be it. Right? You'd already be authentic if this was an easy thing. You have, re- you have reasons why you've created this thing, right? If, if you're, if you're uh, not you, if, if you kind of present a separate you to the world than is reality, then there's a reason you got this. You were trained to have this, right? This came as a consequence of uh, middle school, <laughs> right? Or, or earlier than that, where you started to learn that the real you had to be hidden behind something else. There's reasons that exist. There's a tension when I say you need to live an authentic life. It's scary. Especially in church, which is lame, by the way. But can we be real? Because I'd love to stand up here and be like, guys, get in these small groups. You get in there. You be authentic. Everything's going to be awesome. You're going to get, you're going to grow. It's going to be great. But I don't know. I mean, I hope. (laughs) But sometimes churches aren't cool with people being authentic, right? Sometimes churches don't handle that well. So what's up with that? This is a dangerous thing to be authentic. This is a, let's just call it what it is. This can be a dangerous place to be authentic. It shouldn't be, but it is, which is why uh, so many people call Christians hypocrites because we've kind of created an atmosphere (laughs) that creates them. (laughs) So let's talk about that. I think there are uh, two kinds of churches. I'm going to way oversimplify things. Just two. Extremes. There can be a spectrum in the middle here, but there's two extremes. One extreme, you have the all-love churches. And then way, way, way over here, you have the all-truth churches, okay? So I, I know, I way oversimplified it, but let's just call it that. The all-love churches are super wishy-washy. Um, they're happy, smiley, and warm and fuzzy. Um, they tell people that God loves them right where they are. And that's true, by the way. 
But that's like as far as they go with truth. They don't really want to press any further than that. So they tell people that God is completely fine with everything they're doing and everything they are. Or maybe they don't say that out loud because that would be maybe pushing it a little bit. They just never tell people that anything they're doing is wrong at all, ever. All encouragement, no accountability. All affirmation, no correction. All love, no truth. That's one extreme way over here. And then if you happen to ever walk over here, and some of you have come from over here, you have the all church the all-truth churches, and they obsess over the do's and don'ts in the Bible. They focus on living the way God wants us to live. They tend to have an atmosphere of guilt, a cloud of shame, kind of when you walk in. They assume that people know that God loves them. That's assumed. Of course you know that. You learned that in, in, in kindergarten. You don't need that anymore. We're just going to skip right to the rules section. This is what you need. All... <laughs> condemnation, no encouragement, all correction, no affirmation, all truth, no love. They're way on opposite ends of the spectrum here. And I want you to know something. This is a weird part. There's a gravity to both of these. You know that? They, they pull. They pull on churches. The tendency is to want to go towards one or the other. It's appealing to be an all-love church. It's appealing. It's appealing to be an all-truth church. I mean, I, who, would, who would ever, we just want to love people. Who would say that's wrong, right? The church is way over there. But besides them, who would say that's wrong, right? We just want to love people. That's what Jesus did, right? Jesus loved people, right? And then if you go over here, there's some good parts over here too. These churches, they just want to say, hey, we should live the way God tells us to live. He's the king of the universe. He's the creator of all things. We should live the way he wants us to live. Yes, amen to that too. There's nothing wrong with that. The hardest thing in the world is to plant yourself between the two. That's the holding the tension between these two things. We can't resolve the tension. we got to allow this tension to exist as a church. So here's the kind of church that we want to be, Mosaic. The kind of community that we want to create here. Our stance is that God loves you right where you are. And God loves you way too much to leave you there. Both are true. Both. And I want to get one hand on this one and one hand on this one and not let go for dear, dear life. I, I just never want to let go. No matter how hard one pulls me the one way or one pulls me the other way, I just want to hold on and say God loves you right where you are and he loves you way too much to leave you there. So let's, let's dig into this. Number one, God loves you right where you are. He does. Do you know that? Right where you are right now in this moment, not some future version of you where you get all that stuff cleaned up. He loves you right now. No matter what you did last night, no matter what you looked at on your phone last night, no matter who you were with on Friday night, no matter what you did a couple years ago that still kind of carried like a cloud follows you around, he loves you right now, fiercely. Do you know that? Right here? He does. So why want to be a church where, man... We don't do that thing. <laughs> I have this theory that churches that put up signs that say everyone's welcome, that's a sure fire sign that they are not welcome. Because <laughs> if you have to put the sign up, that means maybe that's not true. Um, but I want to be a church where anybody, like there's no list of people who are not welcome. Right? 
Like, what? What do you even mean by that? Jesus went after everybody, man. There's nobody who's not allowed to come in here and experience what we're experiencing. Nobody. Literally nothing. There's no, li- there's no list. There's no list. Anybody can come. Anyone. No matter what baggage, no matter what past, no matter what they're currently doing, no matter what their choices currently are, I want them to come in here and experience what we are experiencing. I want that. We believe that God fiercely loves every single human being on the planet right now, right where they are. And love leads. Love first. Read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read those and tell me that Jesus doesn't lead with love every time. He leads with love. So that's what we're going to lead with. Love. And, so God loves you right where you are. And, 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 and. Not but. Not but. And. He loves you way too much to leave you the way you were when you came in here. He wants you to be the best version of you. The version he created you to be. He wants to light your soul on fire and draw you to him. He wants you to become who you were born to be. And that means newsflash. There's some stuff in your life you're going to have to stop doing. There is. There's some stuff in your life that you don't have that you need to start doing. There's some ways of thinking that are wrong that God wants to change. He does. There's some attitudes you have that he wants tweak them a little bit. Maybe sometimes something he wants to get rid of. There's some stuff, there's some choices that you make that he doesn't like that he wants you to not make. And he loves you right where you are. That's the part where our brains kind of split in half and we can't compute that he loves you right where you are and yet there's some stuff he wants to change about you. That's the part that our brains just can't, it just, it's like they're not making the connection but both are true. We have to hold this tension it's like bet pedals on a bike right you ever, you ever have a kid have your bike pedal fall off and you stupidly tried to use one and it didn't work right it didn't work unless you could get really going fast and then it kind of worked and then you still fall off you need both pedals for the thing to go or it's like two wings on an airplane mosaic is the airplane we need both we need to know that god loves us right where we are and we need to know that god loves us way too much to leave us there if we don't have both we're not getting off the ground we need them both And the reason, the reason is because there's also a tension inside of us. There's a tension inside the church. There's also a tension inside of us. Because when I say be authentic, some people have a really easy time with that. They don't care. Yeah, I'll be me. And then some people have a really hard time with that. And there's, there's two opposite kind of philosophies of life. Because what I want for you, and this is the hardest thing in the world, is to be authentic and still have a desire to grow in your life. Ooh. usually <laughs> you get a hold of one of those or you get a hold of the other, very hard to grab on both. Because again, it put, depends on the environment you put us in, right? You put me in an all-love church, the, the, the mistake of an all-love church, man, they do a great job accepting anybody right as they are. But they never worry about where they are and never encourage them to move along. So um, <laughs> it becomes this amorphous blob of people who are all affirming each other's dysfunctions. Never does anybody say, hey, that's kind of messed up, man. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you shouldn't treat your wife like that. Maybe you shouldn't talk to your kids like that. Maybe you shouldn't do these things. Maybe that choice that you're making isn't a good choice. Nobody says that kind of stuff. It's just, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. 
But ironically, the, the, the thing that warps back in on itself is this is not very loving to not tell people that they're doing something that's hurting themselves, is it? So it almost kind of starts to evaporate into itself. So you have authenticity over here, but no desire to grow or change. That's great. I love authenticity, but please don't give me authenticity at the expense of your desire to become who God's called you to be. Please don't do that. Authenticity is like all the rage right now. It is. You, man, I, I had a waterfall of articles I was trying to read, and then I got sick of them. So sick of them. Because it's just, we just, I don't know if, it, um, I'm a millennial, so I'm allowed to make fun of millennials. It's always mine. Uh, technically, I'm a millennial. I don't claim them, but they're mine. Uh, evidently, millennials are really drawn to authenticity. That's actually one of the reasons millennials wouldn't go to a church is because they don't believe it's authentic. So we need to be an authentic church if we want to actually reach millennials. Awesome. But what they mean sometimes when they say that is they just want you to let them be who they are and never tell them they're doing anything wrong. I shouldn't say them. We. Sorry. But don't, you, can't, you can't live here and just be okay with just, I'm me, look at me. No. You, you do still need to have a desire to grow. That's usually the missing thing when you have an authentic community. But then over here, let's be honest, because some of you came from churches like this. You're here because you came from a church that was hardcore, here's the Ten Commandments, here's the 602 other ones in the Old Testament, and here's what Jesus said about this, and here's what Jesus said, and, and they have all the rules, and they're going down the line, and you felt crushed underneath that. Authenticity in a church like this is terrifying, Right? terrifying because you can't you can't admit you struggle over here you're supposed to be this thing so you're not going to tell people who you really are over here you have to you have to pretend when you come in how you doing i'm 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 awesome i'm blessed and highly favored or whatever that means there's a thing church people say um you can never tell them that you're struggling you can never tell them hey man i'm really this thing one of these things that i know god wants me to do i'm struggling to do it you can't tell them that they don't want to hear that crap they will bring the hammer of truth down upon you. They don't, they don't want any of that. And, and you know why? Here's the thing. Because most of the time, churches like this, where authenticity is not uh, a good thing, not a happy thing, um, most of them aren't being authentic. And then if you come in and you try to be authentic, not only do they not like it because of you, your authenticity threatens their inauthenticity. <laughs> oh, that person's admitting that they don't have it all together? Hmm. Well, I don't want to do that. So get out. So authenticity over here is terrifying, where everyone would say, hey, there is a standard, there is a way God wants us to live. So it, it, yeah, you're great at authenticity over here, but you never grow. But, but over here, you, you're supposedly wanting to grow, but you can never admit that you struggle in your growth. We have to live here. We have to live here. We must be both and neither. We must take love from the all-love churches, truth from the all-truth churches, and create an environment where someone can be authentic and still want to grow. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? To be able to be in, a, in a, an environment where you can be honest about where you are and honest about where you want to be. To be where someone can be cared for and called up. Where you could take two steps forward and three steps backward and, and actually have the community be like, we still love you right here and we still love you right here and we're rooting for you to get there. 
Wouldn't that be awesome if you had a group of people who came around you, loved you right where you were, no matter what the momentum of your life was, and just encouraged you and, and kept pushing you this way, kept, kept nudging you this way, kept saying, hey, don't forget, that's the direction we're really going. I love you here, but, but I know God wants you here and then here. Wouldn't that be awesome to be a part of a community that did both really well? That's what I want. That's what I want. Look what Paul writes to the church in Rome. Uh, it's really, just, just listen to the tension as he writes these short little sentences. Uh, it's in uh, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 12. He says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, but love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So, um, first of all, I just love that these verses are necessary. You know what that means? That means that, that the early church struggled with inauthenticity. Paul's saying, hey, don't fake it. <laughs> really love each other, which means somebody was faking it, and Paul knew it. He could sniff it out. You guys are lying to each other. Really love each other. But then you can kind of see Paul is like herding cats. He's like, hey, don't just pretend to love each other, love each other, uh, but don't, 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 don't go all the way over here. So I hate what is wrong. Love, hold tightly to what is good. You can kind of feel him struggling with the tension himself. Don't be a church that just loves each other all the time and never says anything's wrong, but don't be the church that only talks about what's wrong and not love them. He wants both. Really love each other, but don't forget to hate what's wrong and love what's good. Love each other with a genuine affection. Honor each other. Hurting us toward the middle. And that's what I want to be. I want to be a church that lives here in the middle. But what we have to understand with that is that authenticity is a two-way street. Your authenticity is one thing. And I'll, I know that for some of you, that is a terrifying thing for me to say, hey, I want you uh, to, to live an authentic life. You're like, that is scary. I've never done that a day in my life. And I'm pressing you, saying that's the best way to live. I'm not saying it's going to make you a better Christian. I'm saying that is the best way to live. An authentic life, that's the way you were created to be. But more than that, to be this church, it's not just your own authenticity. It's going to be how you steward someone else's. How will you handle somebody else's authenticity? How will we handle it? We have to steward it well. Can we create a community where it is a haven for authenticity, a refuge, an oasis, where it is okay to not be okay, but we lovingly help people not stay there? Can we do it? Here's the key. I, I'm, it's the key. It's, it's a hard thing to, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be hard, but it is. The thing we need to do as a church is very simply not forget the gospel. Don't forget the gospel. If we could just do that, I feel like that would take us like 50% of the way there to being the kind of church that we're describing here. So, so if we just break it down in the most famous verse in the world, for God so loved, loved, right? That's the first thing he does, love leads. He loved first. God loved before anything else. He loved us before we got our crap together. He loved us right where we were, right where we are. For God so loved the world, the world. That's pretty all-encompassing, right? That's, that's everybody. Elon has not landed anybody on the moon just yet, right? So we're still all here. So this verse applies to everyone right now. The world. Not just to select groups. There is no asterisk there. 
And then what? He so loved the world that he gave his son. God loved so he gave. There's a connection there. He loved so he gave. And what did he give his son to? The cross. Jesus died on a cross for our sin in our place. He took our sin onto himself and he gives us his goodness, his righteousness. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So listen, this is, this is so important. And this is the part that we get twisted all the time. Our faith, being a Christian, means that you believe that Jesus did the work for you. you, you it's not your work that gets you a right relationship with God. It's not your work that gets you heaven. It's Jesus' work. That is the essence of our faith. See, and that's the thing we always forget. That's the thing these churches over here, you get so obsessed with do, 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 but you forget that it's done. It's done. He did it. And see, maybe, maybe that would flatten things out for us. Maybe it'd be so much more easy to be authentic if we all come in here saying we hold the same resume. You know that when we all get to heaven? Nobody's got one that's got a couple of pages. It's one page. God says, hey, why should I let you in? Uh, Jesus died for me. Boom. That's my whole thing. I got nothing else. I got nothing else. If that's, if that's true, why can't we do this? Why can't we say, yes, we love you right where you are and we don't want to leave you there because love should be the thing that motivates us not to stay here. You're not going to clean up your life because you're scared God's going to zap you. You'd be zapped. And you're not, you're not trying to clean up your life so God will do stuff for you. No, what, what the real reason a Christian wants to grow is because they grasp more and more on a deeper level that God died for them and he loves them fiercely. And that's supposed to be the thing that motivates you to actually grow in your faith. It's not fear, it's love. It should drive you over here and say, look at my life and look at how God wants me to live. And I want these two things to line up. It's love that motivates That is the essence of Christianity. It's what, not what we do, but what was done for us. And that should free us to be authentic. And collectively, we should be really good at stewarding other people's authenticity. We should. So I don't want to be in an authentic church. I want to be a church full of people who are real. No mask to ne- connecting to mask. No fake connecting to fake but real people making real connections that makes a real difference in their very real soul. I want a church that connects for real, genuine connection. So to that end, um, we are starting our Kona Mosaic Groups. We're switching. It's a rebrand. You have to say it right. I already said Thrive Groups today. We're scrapping Thrive Groups. We're calling Mosaic Groups now. Why? Because it, because of the coronavirus. I changed the name. There you go. I can just. How long can I use that as my excuse for anything that I want to change? Can you just say it was the it was the virus? That's why we did it. Now it's called Mosaic Groups. They work thrive, and now we're we don't thrive anymore. And that was gone. It's gone. It's <laughs> Mosaic. Um, but we have somebody really cool who is leading this ministry up. Uh, her name is Andrea. Andrea, by the way, please come up here. Uh, <laughs> Trey is going to tell us a little bit about groups while the worship team comes up and gets us ready for uh, the end of service here. Drea is awesome. She uh, 
give you her resume. She, she doesn't want to come over here. Um, give you her resume. She's a superintendent of schools, which made me the first time I met her. I was super intimidated by her. Um, but she is awesome, and she has this heart for people. She knows more people right now currently in her life than I have ever met in my entire life. And she just has all these, so she's really good at this connection thing. So I wanted to invite her up here uh, to just kind of talk about groups and, and maybe, like, I don't know, can we force people to sign up? Is there a... They can't leave without signing Okay, there you go. We have Mike. You go back there and you tell him. You listen to Mike. He's big and scary. No, we are excited about Mosaic Groups starting up. I think uh, what Pastor talked about, I'm sorry, Reverend talked about today. <laughs> Uh, what he talked about today about being authentic and being able to do that uh, in small groups is really crucial to the church. And what I been when I've been praying about this, what has come to me is I compare our groups to being cells, like in a body. And I think that if we miss this, we're going to miss the move of what God is doing for the whole body. If you look at cells in a human body, they're there for structure and function. And without those things, the body dies. And so we don't have our groups and we're not authentic in them and not growing with each other. We'll never grow into what we know right now. We all feel the momentum of the growth. We feel the building. We feel that what happened after the fast. But all that can die in a second if we're not connected. Amen. And I tell you what, so for me, I do think God is just going to keep growing this church. And for us, every individual person here, we have to know that like, we can't, you can't connect to a group that's that big, right? It's, it's just impossible to connect to everybody in this room. Even right now, as God continues to grow, you have to connect to the cell. You have to connect to that smaller group. So man, we want to encourage you. They start today, right? Sign up, start today. Group start the week of the 11th. Right. I knew that. Um, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> right. <laughs> So sign up, start today. And man, we just want to encourage you, please uh, be a part of that. If you're not like ready to sign up today, we'll let you pray about it. Mike, you can let them leave. If they say they're praying about it, you can let them leave. And they can um, do it tomorrow. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about this here as we go. So um, would you do the honor of praying to close out? Get curveball. <laughs> Got you it. You can hit it. All right. Well, dear Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you. For what you're doing in our church, we thank you for what you're doing in us individually, what you're doing in us, what you're doing through us. And we just want to ride this wave of um, motivation and movement um, of everything that you are doing um, is for such a time as this. Uh, just pray blessing over everyone today. Uh, may they go out better than they came in. May our groups be full by today. And may you get all the glory and the honor for everything we say and we do. In your name we pray. Amen.